0: Good morning, International Christian Fellowship, Rome and online campus, Pastor Jennifer here. I am so excited. It is summer in Italy and it is summer, maybe winter, wherever you're watching from on your continent. But today I want you to lean into the worship. I want you to lean into the ministry of the word. We truly are complete in Jesus Christ. So I want you to have a fabulous service Wherever you are, if you can, stand up. Worship with the worship team. Say to the Lord, God, I want you to speak to my life today, and I know he will. Let's have a wonderful service together. Amen, amen, amen. I can't thank you enough for being here. It's a wonderful day to be together in God's house. Amen? And so this morning, we also want to welcome our online campus as they participate in this very special service of honoring Pastor Rick Sorry, It's hard to believe that it's been one year in June, but it has, and God has been faithful. Can you say faithful? Faithful. Amen. I believe it so very much. And so um, this morning, I brought my baton. It's not a stick. It's my baton. And this is my reminder that on June 27th, the Lord said, keep running the race. Amen. And actually, when Pastor Rick went into the hospital on June 15th, on June 20th, a Sunday, He said to every one of us in his family, wife, children, grandchildren, and even to you, some of you may remember, he prayed a powerful prayer, and we sent it to ICF Rome on that Sunday, not knowing what one week later would bring. But he said, you're going to continue the legacy. You know, you obey Pastor Rick when you're his wife of 43 years. But it was also the Lord. And I told you last week that Two weeks ago in Croatia, the Lord spoke to me by the sea that there's still more fish to catch, and I'm not done fishing. Amen? We're fishing for souls. We're fishing for life changes. And so I hold on to this baton today to remind myself that, you know, when runners run in a race, you can't drop the baton or your whole team loses and so this morning, I don't have a baton for each of you, but I do have a God's Got This bracelet. If you don't have it, I do, would really like for you to get it. And so what I want us to do is I want to say that I'm thankful for the ministry of Rick Pasquale, Pasquale in Italian, Pasquale <laughs> Vito. Um, Mark 9.23 was his verse for as long as I can remember G- talking. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. I'm thankful for that beautiful video at the beginning of the service where we remember those things that stand out to us about the foundation of faith and the legacy of ministry in this house. You are a part of a ministry that has been going on even way before Pastor Rick and I 30-some years here in Rome at the International Christian Fellowship. I want to honor Ben and Anuja Joseph. Would you stand, please? (laughs) Founding members and dear, dear friends for this whole time. Thank you. You can be seated. Who have stuck with us. In hard times, in easy times, in wonderful times, in visionary times. And you know, um, this has been a year of 1st the first things we have to do. Um, but it's not the year of last. Amen? <laughs> There's a whole bunch of things ahead. And it just wants me to stand right here. <laughs> so um, I want you to know that on Friday, Ben and I and Anuja, I did another first. I walked on some of those places where Pastor Rick had walked with a vision for the city. And the sky was beautiful, and as we looked through a folder, Pastor Rick had every detail of every question, everything we would need to know, ready to go. And what's interesting to me, I don't know if I told Ben and Anuja on Friday, but Friday morning, I woke up very, very early, and I heard the Lord so clearly say to me, Step by step, follow the bouncing ball. Follow the steps. I didn't even realize that on that day, I would look in a folder and see more steps that were already in place, already in motion. And my heart is alive with vision. My heart is alive with thanksgiving. And my heart is alive with joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I want you to remember that as long as you possibly can. And so this morning, in honor of Pastor Rick, we're going to take a moment of silence. Even those of you that are a part of our online campus and have been with us these last two and a half years online especially. If Pastor Rick's ministry touched or influenced your life in some way, would you please stand? And now I want us just to take a moment, you in your words, tell Jesus, thank you for spiritual leadership in your life. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I gotta take a picture. Amen. Praise you, Lord. Father, I thank you for every person standing who was touched by the ministry of Pastor Rick. Lord, I also thank you that there are people in this room that aren't standing yet because they didn't know him. That means we to our family. So, Father, we thank you. I'm going to ask everyone in the room if you would stand with me, please. And we have um, a photographer who is taking some pictures, a couple different ones. But would you just, in solidarity with me, lift your hand with the God's Got This bracelet? We're just going to lift it up there for a minute. You know, remember this. Remember God's Got This. We're going to get some pictures. Wherever those pictures are, take a couple pictures real quick, just for a second, because I want you to remember, it's, a, it's not just a phrase. It's a principle of life that my life is not my own. God's got it. God's got me. God's got you. God's got ICF Rome. God's got our past, our present, our future, our destiny. God's got this. And Mark 9:23, Jesus saying, what do you mean if I can? All things are possible to those who believe. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. You can be seated for a moment. We're going to show this video and then I'm going to introduce a very special person that I know the Lord brought our way today.
1: You can say his name. His name is Redeemer. His name is Resurrection. His name is Power. His name is Joy. His name is Freedom. His name is Shama. His name is Elium. His name is Jirah. His name is Shalom. His name. His name is Jesus. The name that's above all names. If you haven't gotten any Lazarus! Dead in a tomb. Four days. God was setting you up so that you could hear one more time get out of the tree I'm about to come to your house and if I will come to your house everything is going to be different I believe that when he sets me up against the lion's den, I'm going to win. When he sets me up against the Jericho wall, I'm going to win. When he sets me up against the diagnosis of the doctor, I'm going to win. When he sets me up against a difficult situation in my job, I'm going to win. Because I'm more than a conqueror. But I want you to go, no, my God has not changed one bit. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he holds my future in his hand. He holds your future in his hand. Listen to me. I'm telling you the rest of the story. My hope is built in Jesus Christ and nothing else. I'm going to get through this life with Jesus, my shield and my defender my rock and my salvation I'm here to tell you we are victorious and three days later to prove that the gospel message is true to prove that salvation is true, to prove that we can be born again is true Jesus comes back to life he comes back to life that's why he can say one week prior, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he was dead, yet shall he live.
0: So if you missed out, I'll try to scream a little more like that. when you're here. But this morning, I want you to know that we love discipleship. And we have studied a book called God of the Long View. Clap your hands if you know about God of the Long View. Come on, really loud. And so I am so privileged and honored to have the author and pastor himself and his wife, Pastor David, and Shauna Wigginton. Would you stand? And Pastor David, would you come? Yes, amen. Will you welcome him to ICF room?
2: Thank you you so much. It's It's my honor to be here today at ICF Rome, and I just thought on this special day, it would be appropriate if we took a moment to pray for Pastor Jen. Would that be okay? And pray for the coming to the close of this year of firsts, but thankfully not a year of lasts. Um, And and so would you just do this? Would you stretch out your hands with that God's got this bracelet toward (laughs) Pastor Jen, and let's just pray together. Father, we just come before you right now. I thank you that what's happening right now in ICF Rome was not your plan B. You were not surprised by what happened. We were all taken off guard. We were all mourning and grieving, but you are not surprised because you're the God of the long view. And we stand on the shoulders of giants, Rick, Pastor Rick and others who have been here for the many years before. And this is the day that you have appointed for Pastor Jen to lead ICF Rome into the future that you have designed. And so, Lord, I thank you for her life, for her ministry. I pray your blessing upon her as this year of first comes to a close. I pray for her and her children as they gather together on the anniversary of Pastor Rick's uh, home going. I pray, God, that you you would, your presence would just be so real in their lives, but I pray, God, these next few weeks would just be a time of regeneration, of recharging for what's next because, God, you're not finished here. You're not finished. There are souls yet to be saved. There are people yet to be won, and so we're believing you for the future. We thank you for the past, but we're believing that you have designed an incredible future for Pastor Jen and ICF Rome, and so we thank you for it as we bless her today. In Jesus' name, amen amen. amen. And amen. Thank you so God bless you. Thank, you. Thank you for joining with me in that prayer. Well, many of you have read my book. Um, I sat down to write my book, and I was preparing to do a, a fundraising message for a, a fundraising organization. I need to raise a big chunk of money for missions. It's one of my passions, and uh, In the process of reading and praying about this idea of the God of the long view, I found a 40-year-old prayer from Cardinal Dearden, and it became the foundation of that missions talk that I was working on, and it also became later the foundation of my book, and part of that prayer says this, it helps now and then to step back and take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision." We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of God's work. Nothing we do is complete. This is what we are about. We plant seeds that will one day grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. And we may never see the end results, but that is the difference between master builder and worker. I love this line. We are workers, not master builders. We are ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Somehow, in spite of me, God used that message in a a powerful way to help to raise that money for missions. And when I was finished with that talk, two of my really good friends that I highly respect came up to me and said, you should write a book about that idea of the God of the long view. And four weeks later, I was scheduled to have LCL, lateral collateral ligament surgery, on my left elbow. I had had the same surgery on my right elbow a year prior and I called and canceled the surgery, and I locked the doors of my office on Tuesday, December the 11th, 2018, and I wrote for eight days straight, and at the end of eight days, I walked out with the first draft of my book. And I say that not, to, not that you'll be impressed that I wrote a book in eight days, because nobody writes a book in eight days. I say that just to tell you it was the Lord that just sort of downloaded it through me. Galatians 6.9 says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And when I began to think about and talk about this idea that God is the God of the long view, one of the first realizations that I came to is that I don't understand time the same way God does. The best way I know to illustrate this is when my son Nathan, who turned 26 this last week, when he turned five, we had a birthday party for him. His friends and our family came and he got some really nice presents. You know the routine. But after the party was over, we, we were in the car and we were headed home, and Nathan began to sob uncontrollably, and I finally got him calmed down enough to ask him what was wrong. And through the sobs, he managed to tell me that he was sad because his next birthday was a whole year away. Do you remember that feeling? When you were five or six, and Christmas was over, and you realized you had to wait a whole year for another Christmas to come again? It seemed like an eternity, didn't it? Well, when you're five, another year is 20% of your life. But for those of us who are older now, another year seems like nothing. When you're 50, I'm nearly there. Next month, I'll turn 50. Another year is only 2% of your life. That day in the car, I told Nathan what many parents tell their kids in that same situation oh, it's okay. It'll be here before you know it. Now, Nathan was five. I'm 50. God is eternal. Maybe that's why he views time the way he does. Maybe when we get tired of waiting on God to answer or intervene in our situation, we should hear our Heavenly Father saying, it's okay. I'm on the way. I'll be there before you know it. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 3.8, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. And we love that verse. Well, we love part of that verse. We love it when God accomplishes something in a day that we think should or could take a thousand years. We don't love it so much when something that we think should take a day takes a thousand years instead. But Peter says God works both ways. And both ways are beautiful. Beautiful. It's beautiful when someone prays for a loved one and they come to church the next Sunday and they turn their lives over to Jesus. It's just as beautiful when someone prays for decades for a lost son or daughter and after years and years or even decades of prayers, that lost son or daughter comes home. You've probably heard the cliche that delay doesn't mean denial, and it's true. It's why Paul says, Don't stop doing good. In the proper time, you'll see a harvest. God will act. So don't stop praying. Don't stop giving, don't stop working, and while you're waiting, celebrate that God's working, because we know that God is always working. We need to learn to celebrate God's delay in the same way we celebrate his deliverance. But we don't do that, do we? When we testify, and say, let me tell you about God's deliverance in my life. Anybody ever stood up and said, let me tell you, I prayed and God's been delaying, I just want to thank God for it. We need to learn to celebrate his delay in the same way we celebrate his deliverance because God sees time differently than we do. And here's one of the principles I've learned. God's timing is always perfect. My timing is almost always flawed. And another principle I've learned is this. God doesn't measure outcomes like we do. Claritin, if you don't know that drug, it's an allergy drug. I I take a Claritin every morning for my allergies. I have horrible allergies It was approved for the market in 1993 after it being developed years earlier by a scientist named Magadi. And estimates are that the pharmaceutical company that developed Claritin spent nearly three and a half billion euro developing it. In order to get the first pill on the market, that pharmaceutical company spent years and billions of dollars. So really, the first pill cost three and a half billion dollars that's an expensive pill. Today, the cost of producing one of the 10 milligram pills of generic loretidine that I take is about three cents. A generic retail cost of about six cents. I can buy them by the bottle in the States for just a few dollars. But the six penny pill, hear me, the six penny pill stops allergies just as effectively as the three and a half billion dollar pill. Your faithful, obedient work with the one matters just as much as someone else's faithful, obedient work with thousands. Sometimes the first pill takes years of investment, years of blood, sweat, and tears, and and, and we see other people making huge advances, and we see other people doing great things, and it's like they're buying six penny pills, right, and we're still working on saving up for that one. When I see others making huge advances, and I seem to be making none, I remember that I may still be working on the first pill. Remember this. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. Lack of perceivable movement by God doesn't mean God isn't moving. I met my friend Craig in 1999. Craig's a professional golfer. He played on the American PGA Tour and the Nationwide Tour, which is another tour for about 25 years. I met him one day on a driving range, a golf driving range. It was across the street from our church, and we became fast friends. Before long, we were going to lunch together. We were playing golf together, and Craig assigns everyone in his life a nickname, my nickname was Preach because I was a preacher. So my boys began calling him Uncle Craig. His girls were born shortly after we met. From, from the time his girls could talk, they were, they were calling me Uncle Peach because they couldn't pronounce their R's, so I was Uncle Peach. Quintley, his oldest, turned 16 this last week, and I texted her happy birthday, and she responded, thanks, Uncle Peach. <laughs> Craig wasn't a believer at the time, far from it. So a few months after we met, I did what any good preacher would do. I invited him to church on Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday at our church, we do do a survey. We ask everyone in attendance to check a box next to one of the following four statements that best describes where they were with Jesus. Number one, I'm a committed follower of Jesus. Number two, I'm on the journey, but I'm not there yet. Number three, today I'm making a decision to follow Jesus. Or number four, I'm not interested Leading up to the first Easter, that I knew Craig was going to be there, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. This was my new friend, and I really believed God was going to save him that Easter. I told our ushers to take the survey cards and place them on my desk, and I couldn't wait to get back to my desk and find Craig's card. And as I thumbed through the cards, my eyes landed on the card with his name at the top, and there it was. The box was checked. I'm not interested. I was devastated. But I continued to build a relationship with Craig, and the next year I invited him to Easter again. I thought, surely this would be the year. I'm not interested. And the next year, and the year after that. One year, he even went out of his way to tell me that they had come to Easter services because they knew it was important to me, but that they really, really, really weren't interested. This went on for nine years. We walked with Craig and his girls through a nasty divorce, but every year, Craig came to Easter services, and every year, the answer was the same, I'm not interested. Easter 2009, the answer was different. Craig was somehow different. This year, the answer was, I'm on the journey, but I'm not there yet. It took 12 more months of praying and believing, and on Sunday, April the 4th, 2010, Easter Sunday afternoon, I was going through the stack of Easter surveys on my desk, and I came across a familiar handwriting but this time, the box was checked that said, today I'm making a decision to follow Jesus. It took 11 years of prayers, of lunches, of investment. So many times in those 11 years, I thought, God, it's not worth it. He's never going to change until he did. That's why Paul says, don't get weary in doing good. At just the right time, God will show up. And watching Craig's life transform over a decade instead of an instant taught me this principle. If I can be faithful now, I can be fruitful later. In the summer of 2016, I learned a different principle about how God works. I visited Tunis, the capital of Tunisia, to examine the possibility of growing the church in this very difficult place. When I arrived and checked into my room, there was a small gift bag on the desk in my hotel room. It's not an unusual occurrence when I travel, but at least one of the contents of the gift bag stood out out to me. Uh, Usually, a welcome gift will contain a bottle of water, some snacks for the room, a map of the local area, some breath mints. I don't know what they're trying to tell me about that, but this welcome bag had a lot of those amenities, but along with them was a rather unusual welcome gift, Maybe not in this part of the world, but for me as an American, it was unusual. There was a bottle of olive oil. And I asked our host at dinner that night about that unique gift, and he educated me on the olive oil industry in Tunisia. Tunisia is the fourth largest producer of olive oil in the world behind three much larger countries, Spain, Italy, and Greece. Olive oil is a big deal there. It's a source of national pride. And today, olive oil is a major industry in Tunisia, but it wasn't always that way. A friend on the trip may have given me a clue as to how the industry began. He showed me an inscription found on a tombstone in Upena, just down the coast from modern-day Tunis. The inscription is over 1,600 years old, from the first half of the 5th century And the Latin inscription translated says, Here lies Dion, a pious man. He lived 80 years and planted 4,000 olive trees. Now the life of Dion doesn't appear in any chronicles anywhere else. He was not remarkable in any other historic sense. He didn't conquer empires or rule a nation. He was just an ordinary guy. He, He lived, he planted trees, he died. That's it but Dion understood the long view. An olive tree can take more than a decade to start producing olives. So we don't know if Dion lived long enough to see all of his olive trees start producing fruit or any of them. But for Dion, that apparently wasn't the point. His inscription doesn't say, here lies Dion, he lived 80 years and made a fortune in the olive industry. It says he planted. And today... Because of unknowns like Dion, who planted thousands of trees, there is an olive industry large enough to impact the world commodities market. An olive tree can live for over 2,000 years, so many of the olive trees that Dion planted are likely alive today and producing olives that contribute to that major export for Tunisia. Paul says it this way, First Corinthians chapter 3, I planted the seed in your hearts, Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. If I could contextualize that for us here today, Paul might have written, Pastor Rick planted the seeds in your heart. Pastor Jen is watering it. It is God who makes it grow. It's not important, he says. Who does? Yeah, give the Lord a hand. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. Paul says what's important is that God makes the seeds grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together for the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their hard work. We often get frustrated if we don't see the answer to our own prayers. But the reality of how God often works is that we don't own our prayers. We may be laying a foundation of work and prayer so that God can do something through someone else to answer those prayers. We may be planting or watering seeds that we will never get to see grow. Oswald Chambers said it this way. This rocked my world when I read this. I want to tell you a growing conviction with me, and that is that as we obey the leadings of the Spirit of God, we enable God to answer the prayers of other people. I mean that our lives, my life, he says, is the answer to someone's prayer prayed perhaps centuries ago. Whether you know it or not, today, sitting in this room, your life is the answer to a prayer that Pastor Rick prayed. Here's the principle that that little bottle of olive oil in my hotel room taught me. If I can be faithful now, someone else can be faithful later, can be fruitful later. Pastor Rick was faithful for many years. He was faithful. He worked. He did the hard work. Now you can be fruitful because of his hard work, because of his faithfulness. You can be fruitful. You can see the increase because it's God who gives the increase, not Pastor Rick and not Pastor Jen. Just because we don't see God working doesn't mean that he's working, isn't working. We need to listen closely and hear him say, keep working, don't give up, what you're doing is good, I'm coming at just the right time, I'm going to bring you a great harvest, and let me tell you this, everything God does is worth waiting for. So often we read the Bible with the benefit of hindsight, we know the end of the story, right? We don't see the biblical characters living in the tension of unanswered prayers like we live in. We don't see the gut wrenching anguish that biblical characters are going through before God shows up. Can you imagine if Twitter existed in the Old and New Testaments? Some of their social media posts might give us insight into the turmoil they were living before God intervened. Can you imagine Daniel caught in the middle of the lion's den, tweeting in the middle of his story? At Dan the man. If you want to land tonight in a sketchy cave full of hungry lions, break the no praying law. Hashtag praying harder now. Hashtag circle of life. Hashtag hakuna matata. Or can you imagine Mary, the the mother of baby Jesus, but really just a frightened 12 or 13-year-old girl? In the middle of her story, she might have tweeted this. Anyone have any tips for convincing your fiance you didn't cheat on him? and that God is the hashtag baby daddy, hashtag uncharted territory. Or her fiance, Joseph, perhaps he would have tweeted, I love this, Joseph with the regular colored coat. It's an Old Testament joke for those of you that don't get it. Since no one uses Twitter anymore, I figured this would be a safe outlet to say, I'm probably going to divorce Mary quietly. She crazy. Hashtag relationship goals. Hashtag Not. See, when we read about these biblical characters, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know the end of the story. We know God delivered Daniel from the lion's den. We know Mary and Joseph are now celebrated as the earthly parents of Jesus each Christmas in nativities in millions of homes around the world. You probably have one in yours. Shauna bought one on this trip. Because we know the end, we we tend to think that there was no tension in the middle of the story But there was. And here's what Daniel and Mary and Joseph and dozens of other biblical characters had in common. They didn't give up before God showed up. And this last year since Pastor Rick passed, we've been living in the tension of the middle of the story. We don't understand all of what God is up to. We don't understand what's happening next. But I know this, Pastor Rick would tell you, don't give up before God shows up because why? God's got this, right? Don't ever give up on God in the middle of your story. He keeps his promises. Stay faithful, and you can ultimately be fruitful. Stay faithful, and someone else can be fruitful. Just before I wrote my book in 2018, I was in the city of Istanbul, Turkey, for a Live Dead Elder Board meeting, and I had an extra day, and I went to see the Hagia Sophia. It was a a church I'd always wanted to see. I love to tour old churches when I travel and uh, it was at one time called the most beautiful church in the world. Um, it's, it's not really that now. It's, it's become a mosque. It was a museum, and now it's become a mosque. And they've covered over many of the beautiful mosaics and many of the crosses and things like that. But as we were getting a tour from our guide, our guide's name was Omar, and he was giving us a tour, and we're walking around. And you have a tendency when you walk in buildings, I've noticed even here in Rome as we've been touring, you look up, right? You look at the ceiling. And, and we were in the Vatican Museum the other day, and we're looking up, and we're walking through, and I look down, and I'm on this beautiful mosaic tile floor. You know, we don't ever look down. We're always looking up, you know? And so I was doing the same thing as I was touring the Hagia Sophia, looking up and looking at all the beautiful things. And and and, and Omar said, if you look down, he said, look down. And I looked down, and I, I took this picture with my phone. This is a picture I took of the floor with my phone. It's a beautiful marble floor. And it looks like just any other marble floor, but he began to point out that the, the grain, the pattern all matches. Those are pieces, and they've been pieced together so that the grain sort of unfolds the, the, the block of marble. And he said, how do you imagine that they cut that? Now, the, the church was built, you know, in the fourth century. So I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm assuming they had tools. Like, did they use a saw and he sort of laughed, and he said, "No, they couldn't use a saw because the vibrations from the saw would create so much uh, so much tension that it would break the marble. And they needed to they needed to slice it very thin so that they could unfold the grain in this beautiful pattern." And he said, "What else do you think they use?" I said, "I don't know." And so he said, "Well, they use silk." And I thought, "Silk that doesn't make any sense." He said, "Well, not just silk. They use silk and a little bit of olive oil for lubrication and a little bit of sand." So I'm just imagining, can you imagine being the guy, they're, they're like trying to figure out how to cut these marble floors, and the guy in the construction meeting that goes, hey, I got an idea, those saws didn't work, let's use silk. <laughs> well, not just silk, I mean some sand, and, and so he begins to demonstrate, if you take this strand of silk and you go back and forth on the corner of this marble and you work all day long, it begins to make a groove. And after two days, it makes another group. And every one of those slabs, I'm told, took over 13 months to slice with silk and sand and olive oil. They would make less than an inch of progress in a week. And over the course of 13 or 14 months, they would finish one slab. Can you imagine at your family gathering going, what do you do for a living? Well, I cut marble. Well, how many pieces did you cut today? None. None. How many are you gonna cut next week? None, but in a year and a half, if everything goes well and I don't break it, I hope to cut the first one. Can you imagine if that were your existence every day before dawn, you get to the construction site and you start working back and forth, silk, sand, and stone, back and forth, silk, sand, and stone, over and over again, day after day, day after day. And it must have been easy to begin to focus on that and think, man, my life is miserable, and I'm not getting anywhere. And you can do that in your life today. You can get miserable and you can get bogged down and you can say, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not making any progress. But here's what that worker had to do. Every now and then, that worker had to break from looking down at that slab of marble and look up and think, man, my life is pretty miserable right now. But I'm a worker and I'm helping work on this building that's going to be the most beautiful church in the world. And he begins to look up and understand his place in the master's architectural design. And some of you need to do that this morning. Some of you need to stop looking down at the situation in your life that has you bogged down that has you feeling like every day is the same and that you're not making any progress and you need to look up and you need to understand that you are workers not master builders you are ministers not messiahs and that you are a part of building something beautiful you are a part of building not a building not just a church building not even the most beautiful church building in the world you're a part of building God's glorious beautiful kingdom in in this world, and he is the master architect, and you can trust him. And so here's the principle. You and God are working on something beautiful together. Take a deep breath, step back, and take it all in. And trust the master architect, because his timing's not like our timing. And we don't understand when things don't go our way and we feel this tension that we think everybody else doesn't feel. And I I told my boys the whole time they were growing up, stop comparing your insides to everybody else's outsides. Because everybody else is feeling the same tension that you're feeling. They just hide it better than you do to yourself. Take a deep breath. Look up. And realize that you are a part of building God's great kingdom in this world And it's worth it. The wait is worth it. He is a God of the long view. He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten your children. He has not forgotten your grandchildren. He hasn't forgotten you and your future mate, your future spouse. He hasn't forgotten you. God has a plan for you. You can trust him. I'd like heads bowed and eyes closed. I think the worship team is going to come and get in place. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor David, I'm in a situation in my life with your head bowed and eyes closed. Those of you watching online, would you even close your eyes and just bow your head right now? And you say, Pastor David, I'm in a situation in my life that I need to understand God's long view. I'm in a situation in my life where I'm feeling the tension in the middle of the story, and I want to skip to the end, but I know I can't, so I've got to trust God in the middle of the story. If that's you, and you say, I'm feeling tension in the middle of my story, I don't know what's next, maybe for my job. I don't know what's happening with my kids, I don't know what's happening with my future spouse. I'm feeling the tension in the middle of the story, that's me. Would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Hands going up. I'm feeling tension in the middle of my story. I don't know what's next. Wish I could skip to the end. Here's my encouragement to you right now. I want you to literally, not just figured, I want you to take a deep breath. If that's you, hold your hand up, and take a deep breath, take it in and let it out. And I want you, with your eyes closed, I want you to imagine the most beautiful sight you've ever seen in your life, the most beautiful building, the most beautiful church, whatever it is, the most beautiful. You gotta learn to trust the master architect. Trust. That he has a plan for your life. And then even though having your nose to a piece of marble, sawing back and forth on it with silk and sand and olive oil doesn't seem to make any sense, and you don't seem to be making any progress, you don't seem to be any closer to the, the future that you've envisioned than you than you've been a week ago or a year ago, you gotta trust the master architect, because you're just a worker. I'm just a worker. We're just ministers, not messiahs. But the Bible I read says God has a plan to redeem all of humanity to himself. He's building his kingdom here. He is building his kingdom here. He's doing it in Rome. He's doing it in your home countries. He's doing it in your families. He's going to build his kingdom. So trust him. Trust him that he's got a plan. Trust Him that He sees a future you don't. Trust Him that His plan is to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Trust Him. Trust Him. And stop worrying about the increase. It's God who gives the increase. Sometimes we're just planting seeds. Sometimes we're just praying prayers that somebody else will answer decades from now. Just keep praying. Just keep hoping. Just keep believing.